Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. Uh, I'm in Roswell, New Mexico, so if there are any bright lights during this show and you see me disappear, I'm, I'm gone. They got me. They came back from me. Uh, I just want to quickly point out that if you're watching this live on YouTube, in the next couple of days, I'll have it up on Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few other platforms where you can listen to the audio version or watch it in video format on Odyssey. Also, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and um, Twitter, and then on Gab, Getter, and Float, and you can follow me on uh, from those links that are in the description. So anyway, we got a full house tonight. We've got the director of the Libertarian Institute and the host of the Scott Horton Show, Scott Horton, back on the show. How are you doing tonight, Scott? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me back, Reed. Happy to be here with you, buddy. Absolutely. We've got Newt Lindsley, who's been on the show before. He's been a libertarian longer than it's been cool, and he's back to talk about some Utah stuff tonight. How are you doing, Newt? Canute. Great. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having me on, Reed. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. Absolutely. We've got... Phil Lammy, who is the Utah Libertarian Party secretary, and he's the Utah County Chair of the Libertarian Party. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing great, Reed. Thanks to be here uh, with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then we've got David Iglesias, uh, who has been pushing in Utah for someone to uh, sponsor the Defend the Guard legislation, and he's also oh. got the Unrestrained Thoughts podcast. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm great. Thanks, man. This is awesome. Stoked to be here with you guys. Yeah. So, Scott, I, I want you to give us like, I, I know it's hard, but give us like the two minute version of what's going on in Ukraine right now without any history or whatever. They can go watch the other podcast. But what what has happened over the last 24 hours that people should know about what's going on? Well, the Russians have essentially walked right into the far eastern Donbass region, which is the provinces of Donetsk and Luhansk. And these are the regions that had already been autonomous, um, you know, through violent breakaway for approximately the last eight years. Um, and so, in other words, what the Russians have done is not exactly an invasion in the sense that they are clashing with Ukrainian forces and taking land from Ukrainian forces. They're taking land that had already been taken from Ukrainian forces, one by the local resistance and two Russian special operations forces who had helped them fight in the war since 2014 and 15. So the danger right now, the immediate danger is that the Russians, well, first of all, they, Putin announced that he recognizes the independence of these two regions as separate republics. And he's sending in peacekeepers to protect their sovereignty. So I think, you know, I don't know why he didn't just say they're part of Russia now. They wanted to be, they voted to join Russia back in 2015. Um, uh, presumably, eventually, he'll go ahead and incorporate them into the Russian Federation. Um, but the point being that what you call the Donbass is actually quite a bit bigger than the land he's already taken. Again, the land he's already taken is the land that the Ukrainian military did not control at all. So now the question is, is he going to be happy with that? And he's going to say these new independent republics that he respects and recognizes the sovereignty of, that they are just whatever the locals already had control of? 
Or is he going to insist that the Ukrainian military back off while he takes all of what historically has been called the Donbass? And which, of course, is just a matter of opinion exactly where you want to draw that line anyway. Um, so that's the immediate question. And if he does say, Ukrainian military, you better back off because I'm interpreting Don. Oh, I should say, I read a thing that said he had one minister say one thing and another minister say the other. So we don't know what he's going to do. Um, but I think if he says the Ukrainian military, you better back off. I want the whole Donbass and you better get out of my way or else they might fight. They might say that, no, if he does that, he's going to push us another 10 miles and another 10 miles and another 50 miles until he rules the whole country anyway. So we might as well stand and fight now. Maybe not. Maybe they'll believe him that he really just wants the Donbass and they'll get the hell out of his way and let him take all of that. Or maybe he won't go that far. Maybe he'll just be happy with what he's got right now. But I'll tell you this, in his speech, he made the case for why he doesn't have to respect the sovereignty of any part of Ukraine whatsoever. He made the case in the speech that Ukraine should have never been independent at all. It never was independent. It's always been a region of Russia and it should be again. And then he bit off this tiny little piece of it. So we don't know if that's just the opening move on the chessboard, if that's really where he's going to stop. And you mentioned we're not going to get into the history. The history is this is all Bill Clinton and W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump and Joe Biden's fault for getting us into this mess. And I'm, you know, completely against what Putin has done here. So I was just explaining uh, to Dave on his show that I think of this as being completely unreasonable and unnecessary, but it is rational and it does make sense from Russia's point of view why we, why they would do this and why even they would go this far. Because as to loosely paraphrase, as Putin put it, the communists made this decision as the USSR was falling apart to let Ukraine be independent, to let the Baltics be independent. But then what happens? The Americans try to swoop in and take it for themselves so that they're not independent at all. Well, so if they're not going to be independent at all, they're going to not be independent because they're under my domination, not America's. It, you know, our experiment and in their independence failed because America wouldn't respect their neutrality. And in fact, as I mentioned, the, the Donbass voted to join the Russian Federation back in 2015, and Putin told them no. And I talked with this great expert who's formerly from the Naval War College, who uh, now writes for Defense Priorities, named Lyle Goldstein. He's this really brilliant uh, strategic thinker and writer and all of this stuff. And I asked him, what do you think changed, Lyle, that now he's willing to take these provinces in this fashion, um, alienating the Western countries? so badly the way he's doing it and all this playing into this narrative right now when he could have done this with a sharpie back in 2015 and just said this the donbass belongs to russia now they had voted in this giant plebiscite the super majority had voted to join the russian federation and he told them no and so what changed now and lyle goldstein says i think what changed is belarus and i clarified with him what he means by that is the biden government tried to overthrow the, or I guess it was Trump. Um, I got to go get my calendar. I guess it was Trump and into Biden was this kind of push to remember they had this dissident and his wife that they were trying to put in power in Belarus and this other sort of failed color coded revolution last year, or late in 2020, early in 2021. And that 
Goldstein says he thinks this is what changed the calculation in the Kremlin, that you see how they are. They're just relentless. They won't even let us be the dominant force, you know, have a have a sphere of influence in Belarus, which is, you know, their buffer zone between them and Poland and um, which is a NATO member. Right. And so he's right. I mean, in his list of demands there, I'm not saying he's right to do what he did. I'm saying he's right in his list of demands there that or the, the list of grievances that America has been absolutely, you know, relentlessly expansionist and aggressive in his region. And, um, you know, he went on and on in that list, including Bill Clinton and the CIA support for the Chechen terrorists in the late 1990s. And, you know, every every chip he still got on his shoulder, which, by the way, sorry for the history, but that's where Putin comes from. It's Boris Yeltsin hired him to run the war in Chechnya in 1997 and 1998, where Bill Clinton's government was backing the Russians, supporting the Russians' effort against the Chechens. But the CIA was working with the Saudis to support the Chechen terrorists against them, too. Well, Putin remembers that he was there and has kept this chip on his shoulder this whole time. Now, you know, he brought it up to Oliver Stone before, too. And think about that. As I was just saying to Dave, sorry for repeating myself, audiences out there. What if it was true, not just some BS story, but what if it was really true that the Russians had been behind Al-Qaeda or at least had been supporting them when they were blowing up the Kobar Towers in Saudi Arabia in, the in 1996, blowing up our embassies in Africa in 98, trying to sink the coal in the year 2000. And it was the Russians who were behind all that effort against us. But that's what we were doing to them. And think about the grudge we would still carry over that. You think that's just messing around? If I say Bill Clinton backed Chechen terrorists, that's like ancient history that doesn't matter? Or that matters, man. That was before Dick Cheney ever even came to town. You know, um, America had already taken this extremely aggressive stance against Russia there. So again, I'm not supporting what he did and I'm not saying what he did was a reasonable reaction, but I do think his complaints are rash. In fact, the most important complaint of his is the current status of the Donbass. And we supposedly had a peace deal called Minsk II since 2015. And yet there's been low level, so, you know, they call it low level violations of artillery shells back and forth this whole time and low level fighting this whole time. And so the Minsk II deal was never completely implemented. And that includes on the Ukrainian side, they never really implemented the full, you know, almost complete autonomy and rewrite of the constitution that they promised in the deal. And this was a deal that was brokered by the Germans and the French, our allies, went over there and said, all right, Kiev, sign this deal to end this war right now. And then, but we never insisted that they live up to it. And um, so, um, you know, it's been violent there this whole time. They can't rebuild. They can't have a stable economy or recover or do any kind of thing. And you know, Putin had said, look, we keep expressing our concerns and our concerns continue to go unaddressed. And it's like, you know what? That's true. <laughs> you know, again, I'm not justifying what he did, but I'm not justifying what America's done here either at all, dude. Jack Hughes, this is their fault. Right. So um, how many troops are we deploying to the Baltic states? I saw you tweet out something that Biden was saying we're going to be deploying troops. Do you know how many? Yeah, I think it'll be, you know, high hundreds or low thousands, not a truly defensive force, a token force, a show of, of you know, solidarity only. If the Russians invade the Baltics, it'll be with 150, 200, 300,000 men. And it'll be, you know, 
they'll completely steamroll the place. Uh, and the Americans will get on their planes and run like hell. So, you know, and, and as, you know, Biden said, he goes, look, we're sending troops to the Baltics, but not that we want to fight Russia because we sure do not want to fight Russia. This is just defensive. But you know what? It ain't even defensive. It's purely decorative. And and thank God for that. I mean, if he starts sending 10 and 30 and 50,000 troops to the Baltics, start digging a shelter, you know, but uh, so far it doesn't look like that. All right. Well, uh, David, why don't you talk about what the defend the guard legislation is? Um, because this is kind of relevant if we do start sending a lot of troops. How would the uh, defend the guard legislation affect the president's ability to send troops overseas? Wait, wait, right. can you stop for, stop for one second? Jason, can can I meet you sure. real quick? I'm, I'm so excited to find out who you are and what your role in Bring the Guard Home is and all of these things. So uh, please just introduce yourself first and then answer his question. <laughs> yeah, right. So my name is David Iglesias. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I called you Jason. I'm, that's I'm, all right. I, everybody's name is too small on here. I can't see. <laughs> all good. No worries, Scott. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm just some 26-year-old kid from Utah that read uh, enough already in Fool's Errand and was pretty pissed off about finding out all the bullshit that <laughs> we're doing that the U S government's doing overseas and has been doing for years. And then understanding the broader implications of how it affects us here, whether it's between, you know, the blowback terrorism or just the economic disaster that, you know, we have to bear as the citizens. So I got really angry about that. And about a year ago, I was listening to, um, your podcast, Scott, and you had, I think, def uh, you had uh, Dan McKnight on there and had his whole story and how about how he started pushing, you know, the legislation across the country, defend the guard um, with his organization, bring our troops home. And so I looked on their little, they have a, a map on their website and I looked on that to see, you know, is anything being done in Utah? And I saw there was no, no names, nothing listed. So I reached out to them. This was about, I think a year ago now. And I, it took about a month. I didn't hear back from them. And so I found Dan's personal Facebook page, reached out to him, and then he got back to me. And basically from there, we just started, you know, continuing conversation. I've been working with him, Diego from the same organization, um, Hunter as well. And they've been helping me just kind of figure out how, you know, what I need to know and what's the best approach. And so um, now here we are a year later, I started out, um, not having the slightest idea of what the hell I was doing. I didn't know the slightest thing about how Utah politics worked or the legislative process. I didn't know anything about, you know, writing laws and stuff or how to even get a hold of legislators and how to get sponsors for bills. Um, and I just started putting in some time and effort and made connection after connection, um, starting with the libertarian think tank, uh, Libertas here. And they put me in connection with some people and, so as of right now, I guess I guess now I should answer Reed's question. Um, so basically what the, the bill would do is prevent. So for it's a state by state bill. It's not a national bill. And so for us, it would be Utah is saying uh, if it passed the legislation, it would say the state of Utah is going to withhold deployment of their National Guard troops overseas into active combat. Um, until there is an actual formal declaration of war on part of Congress. None of this AUMF bullshit, none of this, you know, executive decree. It's got to be 
congressional declaration of war. So it's not saying that we're just going to withhold troops, period. It's just saying you have to go by the the process that the country was founded on based in the Constitution. So um, that's what it's a really simple bill. It's like two pages, if that. It's not anything complicated. Um, where we're at here in Utah specifically in the process, I have, and I don't want to give out names quite yet just because I haven't, there's been no like set things in stone, but I do have one representative, um, one member of the House of Represent Representatives in particular who I've been working with. He, uh, he seems pretty interested. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to get things for this current legislative session we're in, but we're planning on getting something rolling for next year. Um, he's like I said, he seems pretty, pretty interested. Uh, I think he just needs to see that we have some backing. He wants to feel a little bit, you know, reinforced knowing that there are people and I've had to meet, um, some of the guys from uh, bring our troops and had a couple conversations. And then just last week, I actually was able to track down a, a Senator that I was thinking might be a good ally as well. Um, I've been trying to be really picky about who I talk to and who I, you know, reach out to about this because I don't want them to end up, you know, reversing everything we've done and start planning against it. But the senator, I, you know, they put their name on some legislation this year that I thought, you know, was fairly controversial, not like extremely, you know, blow your mind controversial, but he's he's willing to put his name on some stuff that maybe others won't. So I, I flagged him down and just asked him, hey you know, what are your thoughts on this? Would you be willing to hear me out and, and meet, you know, after the session? And, and yeah, the, he told me that he, he thought it would be something interesting to look into. Um, so I'm hoping to get that Senator and the representative working together. Uh, I, my guess is it's gotta be probably around April or a little bit after that, because the session ends, I think in March. So we would be getting together and, and pushing that, but so yeah, the right now there's nothing officially filed or anything as far as I'm aware of, but I do have two potential sponsors, one in the House, one in the Senate, which is exactly what you need to start working on this bill and hopefully get it presented to be, you know, pushed forward and, and debated next year. Awesome. Yeah. That's really great. great. Man. So yeah. uh Canute, um it seems like we should be able to get more than just one person from the house and one person from the Senate to support this, but we, uh, you know, it seems like not enough people are willing to. So what is your outlook for new seats that could be taken by libertarians, or at least make people who are going to be running for those seats uncomfortable if libertarians are running against them in the house and Senate, do you see any potential there? I do. And actually, I want to say, David, fantastic work. Seriously, I'm, it's it, this is the kind of thing that makes uh, that really gets policy uh, to into action, because a lot of our representatives, especially the ones who care about uh, actually listening to their constituents, they're the ones who we need to tap on the shoulder of. Um, one of the things since I moved to Salt Lake uh, from Seattle, one of the things I've been trying to establish with the state uh, party, and it's just for anyone, this isn't just for, you know, libertarians, it, for everyone, is to uh, streamline a process for people to find their representatives. And and ideally, the kind of networking that we need to have is we need to have a, a feedback loop within uh, like-minded people so that we can see this activity that David is engaged in, for example, and, and 
encourage once it's, once we're able to release the names of the people who are on board, if we have like-minded representatives, we can already have a relationship with them because we talk to them about school choice or eliminating the grocery tax or having the state stop selling liquor. So if we are already establishing a relationship with our representatives, then we can do that. The counterpoint to that is if if you're contact you're contacting your representative and they are voting against everything you talk to them about, that's going to inspire a lot of people to want to become their representative. And that's that's the that's the dual-sided uh, uh, impact of of reaching out to your representatives. It might seem a little weird because you know we're so used to texting and chatting on social media, but actually phone calling or even emailing your representatives and letting them know how you feel is is pivotal. Uh, and and it can even be done independent of any political organization. You go to the your each state has their own .gov uh, website, their state site, and you can go there, find out who your representatives are and let them know how you feel about it. And even though, and, and David, maybe this is something I should ask you about, or Scott as well, uh, you know, like, would it be better for us to hold our cards on asking our representatives about just supporting Defend the Guard, maybe send the website to them so they can look at it? Any thoughts on activity prior to having a congressman and a senator signed on? Um, so I don't know, Scott, you've, you've got some experience kind of seeing how it's been rolled out in other States. Is, yeah. Do you have any idea for that one? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, um, this wasn't bring the guard home. It was a, a resolution in Montana to demand the the federal Congress pass a resolution, uh, rescinding the AUMF. And I got up there and talked to them and they just love me. But everywhere else that I testified with the bring the guards home guys, they hated my guts. But who they loved, you know, absolutely worshipped was the veterans. So especially like in Texas, for whatever reason, I try to give the same spiel that I gave to the guys in Montana to um, the guys in Texas. And they just like booed me right out of the room. They hated my guts. And then but Brian Sharp got up there and he was I forget exactly a lieutenant or some kind of thing in the army, but went to West Point. And he got up there and he goes, well, first of all, Diego went before me. Diego was a Green Beret. He's a, you know, you take one look at him. He's a tough guy. And he was so upset, too upset. If I could have turned him down two notches, maybe a notch and a half, it would have been better. But the thing is, they were talking about money. And geez, if we were to stop sending the guard over there, wouldn't that cost us some money? before any of us had a chance to get up there. And so he was just absolutely beside himself where he's like, did I just hear the word money come out of your mouth? And like, oh, he was just mad and he was cussing the F word at him. And just, it was, it was bad. But the thing is though, is he made an impression on them because what he was saying to, to quote him pretty directly was, listen, my friends came home from that war in a box. You want to talk to me about money? My friends are dead. And like, whoa, he he set them back on their heels like, wow. Then I got up there and whatever I had to say, I should have just I should have been much more flexible, abandoned my prepared statement and said something else. You know what I mean? I forget now what would have been better. But I at the time I realized right after that, oh, I should have said this instead of that. Anyway, they hated my statement. Then Sharp got up there and Sharp went to West Point. Uh, Brian Sharp is his name. And he goes, hi, I'm Brian Sharp. I went to West Point. And they all went, oh, my God. Wow. We, you went to West Point? 
And he's, yeah, that's right. And they go, wow, like the West Point? And he goes, yeah. And they're like, oh, man, go ahead and say stuff, sir. We're listening to you. And just, you know what I mean? Like, it was just over the top there, like fealty to him. All that stuff about you're not allowed to talk about this stuff unless you're a veteran. Well, if you are a veteran, you can talk about this stuff, man. That is right. And so the lesson that I learned from that is I keep trying to turn Diego down when he invites me to help them and speak at these things. Like, I'll, maybe I should give a pep talk to the boys before they go out there and we have a conversation about what all everybody's going to say. But I'm not a veteran and I'm not a big, I mean, every one of these guys that lead Bring Our Troops Home are all look, every one of them look like they're straight out of the G.I. Joe box. You know what I mean? Dan McKnight and Diego Rivera and Jeff Lyons and all of these guys are, you can tell they're veterans and you don't question whether, you know, they know what they're talking about or not. They command respect when they speak for real. And so that's my recommendation is just keep the civilians out of it. Let the let the guys who are the combat veterans lead this, particularly the officers, but also especially any special operations guys or whatever it is. The higher the rank, the more, you know, ribbons on their chest or tassels on their shoulders or the more, you know, funny names. I was in Marsock or, you know what I mean? Some kind of thing like this. This is what impresses these legislators. And in fact, you know, I'll tell you another thing. Brian Sharp. And this might not have worked for me. I don't think this probably would have worked for me. Maybe if I had really done this well, it would have worked. But Sharp started quoting Daniel Webster. And then they all said, wowee, Daniel Webster said that? The Daniel Webster? Like the guy that knew the founding fathers and stuff? Wow. So in other words, like... These people are pretty impressionable, depending on who's talking to them and how they're talking to them. And it wasn't enough. I'm not going to say it was enough, but I'll tell you what, if it had been three or four Brian Sharps up there and they kept the pressure on through the whole legislative season and stayed on that, they had won over this great congressman, a state congressman named Brian something who was a good guy. But if there had been enough of them and they had really maintained that relationship on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe they could have prevented him from selling us out, but he did. He ended up compromising the bill away and this kind of thing. But, you know, it's never going to be easy to get a bill like this passed. I mean, this is serious business. When you look at and just type in Defend the Guard in videos, and you'll yeah. see interviews, you know, of me interviewing Dan and whatever. But you'll also see news coverage from around the country. And you'll see where the PBS NewsHour spent like 15 or 20 minutes on them. And this is not messing around, man. This is, you know, and it ain't liberal Democrats either. This is conservative Republicans, constitutionalists and libertarians and Ron Paul types and combat veterans leaving the movement. And then Ron Paul Republicans introducing the legislation. And the legislation says, you know, we got to do what George Washington and them wrote in the law which says that only Congress can declare a war. And everybody knows that. You can't tell people that that ain't, I mean, every single person, grab a guy off the street. Can presidents declare war or only Congress? And they'll say, well, only Congress is supposed to be able to. Everybody knows that, you know? And it's true. And, you know, I saw, I can't remember the context, guys, but I saw somebody on the, on the internet talking about soldiers and their oaths to the Constitution. 
compared to regular pre- people. I can't remember the context, but I think they only kind of barely touched on to me what is the most important aspect there. And that is that when soldiers, especially the enlisted guys, when they put, when they take their oath to the Constitution, it's a blood oath and they really mean it. And they're putting their life on the line in the name of that promise to that document, to that law that created this government. And unlike all of the other bureaucrats, you know, they really are willing to kill and die for that damn thing in a literal way. And many of them do so. Um, Many of them lose their friends in a roadside bombing on a mission they joined up in the name of that constitution. Well, that just ain't the same for people at the IRS or the Department of uh, Justice or ATF or Department of Education. They don't risk anything. They take their little oath to the constitution. It's just checking a box, right? But when these soldiers get up there in front of those congressmen, especially, again, the officers like Sharp, get up there and they start talking about that oath and what it means and what they saw their best friend give his life over for it and all that kind of thing. Those congressmen, those state congressmen, they get whipped right into shape pretty good because they don't have a word to say. It's not like they're right. Somehow we got to win them over with some BS story or something (laughs) like that. And this whole policy has been absolutely crazy. Guys who signed up to to uh, stack sandbags to protect their neighborhood from floods, got their legs and genitals blown off in the Hellman province? For what? How could anyone justify that? You can't justify that. Um, And so coming from them, and that's the thing, I'm not sure, uh, David, if you said you're a veteran or not, I'm sorry, but uh, let them sit up front, you know, let them uh, be the ones who explain what the hell is going on here. Um, because they are owed that respect and they get it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, even when Diego, he lost it and he had the right to lose it. I mean, some of the stuff that they were saying, I'm not attacking him at all. I love this man. He's my friend. I'm just saying that they pissed him off, man. And he was so angry. But like, even then, they didn't dare say, young man, sit down. You lower your voice. You don't. I guess at one point they said, please avoid the swear words, sir. But then they didn't stop him, though. They didn't stop him. And, man, he was going off. But it was like, hey, what are you going to do? This guy's talking about his dead friend's intestines in his hands. There's, like, some insane thing. You're going to interrupt him and make him stop? You shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? You should let this guy go. So so that's the thing about it, man. Just bring your officers with you. Bring your Mm -hmm. highest-ranking dudes. Get up there. Your combat veterans. Put them up front. And let let those – because, look. I mean, you think about who your average state senator is or your state house member is. You know, they're somewhat political guys, but they're probably not even as political as we are in terms of like really obsessing about what's going on in the world all day, every day, every minute of every day, the way that we are. You know what I mean? So people like us, we can come in there and be very persuasive to people like them who are essentially they're primed to learn this stuff, but they don't know it already. Right. right. We can really fill their cup because they got it ready to go. You know, I think there's a lot of that. And I think a lot of these people, you know, you think about how much you hate politicians and stuff. But come on, these are just state representatives. If any politician is actually just a guy from your neighborhood, it's your state house member. Give him a try. You know what I mean? He might not be that damn bad. You know, maybe at least there's something you can get out of him. 
something that that you could trade pretty easy and get what you want. And think about this, guys. What if we got a single state to pass this thing first? And what that's going to mean in this country. You think the news hour spent 20 minutes on them now. Wait till especially like an important state like Texas bans the president from taking their guard troops. <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, you're talking about an earthquake. You're talking about a shot heard around the world, man. And and, and coming from Republicans and coming from the states and using the Constitution the whole time nullification and interposition in the most Jeffersonian and James Madisonian way. Um, you know, like this is, it's a severe challenge to the empire's power in probably the most effective and creative and coolest ass way that anybody could have ever come up with. So, you know, I'm really, I'm really proud that, um, and, and happy to hear you say, David, that, you know, my book had an effect on getting you into this kind of thing. I hope yeah. people listening to this will say, look, hey, I've been to that war and back and I want in and and join up. In fact, I had the, the executive director of the Libertarian Party of Texas said to me yesterday, he sent me a text and said, do you know the bring the guard home? Do you know about that? I was like, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> Let me CC you on an email with their director right now and make sure that you guys are friends and working together, get the LP completely behind this effort in Texas. It's good for the LP. It's good for Texas good for the guard, good for our country. And yeah. so everybody get on board this thing. What bandwagon, right? Like what could possibly be? I'm, I'm so used to saying antiwar.com is the most important project in America. No, no, no. Bring the guard home. It is. Bring the guard home.us, you know, br or bring our troops home.us and defend the guard.us. And that is the most important project in the country right now. And and I might add, sorry, Reed, if I, I don't want to. No, like, go ahead. So one thing you mentioned, Scott, is is the the um, typical statesman and lawmaker here. Well, Utah. I don't know if this has been the case in any other states, but um, Utah has a unique. Uh, I don't know if I want to. It could either be a serious advantage or a extreme disadvantage in that two of our two members of our house of representatives are former national guard members in fact the former adjutant general who just retired is a is a member of the house of representatives and another member is a former brigadier general so two of the members of our legislature are former guardsmen i and they're they're actually two people that i am trying to strategically get get their ears on to mm -hmm. see if maybe they can be because because they're either going to be the ones that, you know, try to sway the entire legislature against the bill or for the bill. Um, yeah. And so they I, I haven't had the chance to like really now the representative I am working with. I know that this person does have a good relationship with the former adjutant general. And then and I now, have, I'm sorry, did you say you're a veteran or not? Oh yeah. No, I'm yeah. actually not. I'm not a veteran. Okay. I'm just, right. I'm literally just this 26 year old. Like, like I said, I, I read your books and I, that was like, that's literally the whole reason I got here. Right. And so, well, look, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely smart to focus on those two guys. Cause as you say, they're either going to sink it or swim it either way. It's going to be, they're going to have a huge say in how that goes. So be real strategic in how you approach them. And, um, you know, again, make sure that they know that you're not some hippie. They're both Republicans. Yeah. Yep. Make sure that they know that this is all, you know, Ron Paul and Ben Franklin and shit here. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, military guys, they they mean it about the Constitution in a way that other federal employees and government employees just don't. So if you can really talk to him in the language of the founders, in the language of the constitutional law, then that really should be meaningful and effective. You know, um, after all, if there was really a war worth fighting, the president wouldn't have a problem getting the Congress to declare war, would he? You know, you wouldn't need conscription because we'd all volunteer because we would all think it was so important, right? Right. Yep, right. So who needs stop loss and who needs the National Guard and who needs conscription if it's a just war? You know, and um, so, yeah, bring Dan McKnight with you to go and talk to this guy and, and bring your, your good congressman you've won over to go talk to these other guys and let them know. You know, when, when, um, when we testified in Texas, one of the legislators said, uh, well, what about title 10 and title 15 and title this and that and all these things. And Dan McKnight knew the answers. The other guys, including me did not know the answers, but this one state rep, he knew the law that you know he knew all about it if the president says he wants our troops well doesn't the law say he can have our troops it's titled this that and the other thing what about that and mcknight i had to say well just wait till mcknight testifies here in a minute he's going to explain all that for you which really sucked like i should have had those answers already myself um but you know so that's important like be prepared for them to be prepared like what truly is supposed to be under the law, not under the way we wish, not under the old state militia tradition from 200 years ago, but under the National Guard system as it's existed since Franklin Roosevelt. What is the role of the National Guard in these wars? And what is the role of the state legislature's control over them? What's the difference between a state guard and a National Guard force that's controlled by the state, if any meaningful distinction when it comes to these kinds of questions? And when is it okay? You know, Dan got all into the weeds with this guy about, you know, they can send troops overseas to train, but not to fight, but to train they can. And all these different things, right? So all that's in the law. And, and so when you go to these guys to talk about why this is a good idea, you got to be able to answer every single one of those questions. Presume that the guy you're talking to, as you just said, the guys you're talking to, they were in the guard. Maybe one of them was a major, right? Maybe he read, you know, 15 books on the law about the National Guard and knows everything about it and is going to ask you a bunch of follow-up questions that you got to be able to satisfy and your guys have to be able to satisfy. Because again, we are in the right on this, right? So if we approach it right, we should do well. Simple as that. So, uh, Phil, um, as far as specifically the defend the guard legislation goes, but also other libertarian um, policies in general in Utah specifically, what do you think the role of the libertarian party should be? Should it be making people scared they'll lose their position if they don't, you know, if they don't make us happy on some of these issues or actually trying to replace people? What, what, what do you think based on the numbers we have and based on the positions we could probably run for coming up? Thanks, Reed. Uh, I'll say this. I've returned to Utah uh, just over two years ago after living in Hawaii. 
which you know was an overthrow of their monarchy. For those that have lived there or have known the history of Hawaii, I was here for a year and a half. I was unaffiliated as a voter. Prior to that, I was in Utah as a Republican. <clears throat> um, when I came back to Utah, I said I'm. I've joined the Libertarian Party nationally in, in 2019. I'm just going to seal the deal. And, you know, it was it was Tom Woods. I, I don't me- remember who exactly was on there. Maybe Ken Mullman. I don't know who it was at the time on the show. But I joined the party, National Party. And when I got to Utah, I said, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to help the party uh, um, get somewhere. Well, you know, between that year, 2020, before the national election, uh, the presidential election and everything up until now, um, you know, 2020 was difficult. We didn't have any county parties, no affiliates. Uh, we had um, our party chair who moved, and so we had a restructure. It was bare bones. Uh, I could tell you that Joe Jorgensen campaign was bare bones. And from where we were then to where we are now, now we have six county affiliates and we're growing. We just had one uh, last week uh, come online. Um, we've got a war chest that's growing, uh, this past weekend, we, I know this is not, it's not a lot of money, but we've got over a thousand dollars and just since Friday for a billboard campaign. So I would say, uh, what, what can the libertarian party or the Utah libertarian party do is just exist, be there and get the message out. Um, I'm really proud of David. Uh, I've, I've known David for over a year now, uh, when, when we had a, a meetup to talk about, you know, what's something we could present to our members uh, within one of our caucuses, uh, particularly the Mises caucus. Uh, he said, uh, I got this thing that I've uh, heard about the defend the guard. So I said, great. Um, and so he had a presentation um, and then um, it was well received. And then afterwards, um, he, uh, he and I worked together a little bit, uh, made some contacts on my end. Uh, but David's really taken off on this, and, and from a state party level, uh, you know, he's been crowned uh, the person to promote defend the guard. Uh, and he's—I know the word "crown" is probably not the good word, but you, you know. But the point is, um, we're really proud of you, David, and what you're doing. And we know it's going to take some time to talk about this. You know, Canute just talked about uh, abolishing the. Um, the uh, grocery tax, the state portion, or um, getting rid of the DABC, the state liquor stores, or um, school vouchers that we're working so, um, you know, the support from Corey DeAngelis. I mean, that guy is such a rock star. Uh, so we're focusing on certain things. And I mean, you know, look, the legislature just pulled a, uh, a D move, you know. Um, <laughs> they upped the uh, week to file for office. From March 7th to the 11th to February 28th to the 4th. Why? Because, oh, they said the, the all the political parties wanted that. Well, they didn't talk to the Libertarian Party. So now we have uh, less one week less to try to figure out who's going to run for office. And the conversation I'm having is uh, we got people running for state office, state rep, state senate, local school board. Um, I don't know if we'll have too many run for county offices because the filing fees are so astronomically high. I mean, you compare us to Colorado. Colorado's like got nothing, right? Colorado has like no filing fees or next to nothing. We have high filing fees locally. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that we have um, those who are uh, choosing to run for office. I'm uh, Unfortunately, I don't qualify to run for office here unless I run for county. Uh, I'm 
at the moment, not willing to spend nearly a thousand dollars to get myself trounced upon. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, hopefully, in a couple of years, I should be able to run. Um, I cannot run for local school board because I, you know, that seat's not up. But I'm encouraging everybody um, to think about the top two, three things that are important to their campaign. And uh, those are conversations we're having now. And I'm excited um, that Defend the Guard is one of those issues that we can hopefully bring to the limelight as we get traction. So I, I think from a state party level, from a Mises Caucus level, uh, as we wanted to see organizers, I'll tell you, we bullish totally on Defend the Guard and bringing home these troops. Limbs for Liz. Michael Mal said it best, right? Every time she gets up there and it supports all the troops going out, it's it, the response is, yeah, well, you know, she profits off of this. She, she got another mansion, another house, you know, limbs for Liz. God bless you, Michael Malice. God bless you, Scott Horton. God bless you guys. So, Canute, you wanted to put this event together that's going on uh, Friday night and Saturday because none of the other states are really having anything before their convention, so no one knows what to run for and no one knows what positions are you know, in the most important or whatever. So why do you, why don't you explain um, what the event is and why you decided to put it together? Yeah. I, um, I, for on and off for many years have come across uh, the anti-war. It's just that a lot of credit is to Scott Horton on and off the years uh, work volunteering uh, in Washington and Seattle. Uh, people have mentioned the website and, and uh, so I, I, Work, I work in the medical field, so I work in the hospital, and, and so a lot of my time is dedicated to that. But any other extra time for study, uh, I would uh, I would try and learn anything I could about the broad spectrum of foreign policy, um, you know, I, anything I can sink my teeth into. Um, and, you know, we started having a lot of successes in Washington State. We got our senatorial candidate uh, into the debate with Maria Cantwell. Of course, he had to mortgage his home in order to get into the debates. Uh, but, you know, because it was about your, how much money you had in your war chest. So but we've had a lot of successes in, in, in that realm. And, and it just uh, when I moved here and I was actually I, I think it was actually a read on one of your shows. Uh, you'd had uh, Scott Horton on and I'm like this. this Oh, yeah, I know this guy. I know this person. So. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, I, I had to jump. Uh, I had to get going on that. And then I, I, I started talking, Scott, with you about, you know, what are your plans for 2022? Um, because for me, I, I knew that the filing period was going to be in anticipated in March. And I thought, let's have some really big event and, uh, you know, get Scott Horton here and, and have him uh, drop a few truth bombs about what's going on in the world. Had no idea that, uh, the Russia-Ukraine situation was going to blow up uh, beforehand. I'm, I'm not trying to be use a lot of puns here. It's just coming out naturally, I guess. But uh, yeah, so I thought. Uh, so I reached out to Scott and said, "Let's let's uh, let's put this together." Uh, one thing led to another, and 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 here it goes. Of course, again, now they're moving the filing fee up for a couple of days after Scott's event. So uh, I figured that at the very least it would stir the pot and get us going. Like we've had veterans who've run for Senate here in Utah uh, for Libertarian. So David, I'm happy to connect you with with any of the veterans that I know in the Utah party. Um, but yeah, so that, that's really the inspiration behind it was to stir the pot, get people excited about, uh, uh, about reaching out to their representatives and being either satisfied with their representatives and support them or being frustrated to the point of 
becoming their representative, standing up and, and at least giving some competition uh, so that they feel a little bit of heat uh, from the political market. So screen um, who's uh, watching, the link is in the description to this. Let me see if I can pull it up here. There we go. So uh, there's going to be on Friday night with Scott, that's only up to like 35 people. Are, are those sold out yet, Canute? Not the yet. There's still the there's still some seats available for Friday night, um, and and that's going to be uh, a, you know a fantastic dinner there with uh, with Scott. Uh, and then the Saturday event is going to be. Uh, uh, saw your message, uh, Scott, that you added a, a little bit to your discussion about or your your talk this Saturday about the Russia-Ukraine situation. So people are going to get a chance to do that. Have me Q&A after that. And you're, we're going to have your books available there for people to purchase and have them sign it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I um, yep. I gave the speech in uh, Bronxville um, last week and or two weeks ago or something. And it's a little bit over an hour and it keeps getting longer. <laughs> I think I'm going to cut out a bunch of the Russiagate stuff. Because once I started describing Russiagate, I kind of went, like, spent a few thousand words on it. So I think I'm going to try to trim all that back out again and try to save a little time. But it's going to be a bit more than an hour, but I'm going to try to go fast. But it is a written out speech because it's just I can't do this much, this many different points with just bullet points. You know what I mean? Or it would take twice as long. So I'm going to have to just barrel through and hopefully you guys can tolerate listening to me read out loud for an hour, but we'll see how it goes. Well, Scott, we'll maybe we you. can get Bill Crystal to come back and, and maybe he can actually defend <laughs> his position. Yeah, I'll just stomp on his face in front of you for an back hour. in the Soho Forum. <laughs> that would be good. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll drag him up on top of something tall and then push him off it. <laughs> Great. With this consent, right? Not aggression principle. Well, this consent. <laughs> well, uh, David uh, Filler, innocent life, you know. Uh, David Filler, Canute. If there's anything specific you want to add or bring up about the event or about the party or about defend the guard, just go for it. Because um, I'm just this, yeah. this video is just to get the publicity out there for everyone to know about defend the guard and the event coming up. So right, yeah. If if I can add, um, just kind of reiterate some of Scott's points about how we can get this to to go through in utah so to kind of give the the context of what i have gathered is the the culture of utah specifically around military and stuff is utah loves their soldiers they love their troops i mean it's a mostly republican state mostly conservative um you might see some shifts now kind of in in areas like salt lake where it's becoming more progressive but generally um the people really do support their troops. And if you go after the troops, they're, you know, you're not going to have a good outcome from that. So what the strategy we're trying to do is, is exactly like Scott pointed out. I, I, my focus, my intuition was that, you know, if I go up there, some 26 year old kid, you know, the only connection I have to any war is my grandpa was drafted during Vietnam. He didn't go to Vietnam, thank God, but he was drafted during that time. And that's it. I don't have any family or myself that have, served in these wars i have friends and i know people but my impression was that if i go up there and try to testify they're not going to take me seriously 
Um, I was able to, I actually saw, I watched the video of, of Diego testifying. And like Scott said, like, I can't think of a better um, demographic of people to, to push this bill. So one of the things I've been doing is I've been trying to, I have three or four, let's see, there are currently three actively serving guards people that I've um, connected with. Two of them are friends of mine that I grew up going to school with. And so I reached out to them and one of them, she, <laughs> she was already reading um, Smedley Butler and was like, yeah, I'm just so sick of this shit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is perfect. You're like exactly who I want to talk to. So um, that person was on board. Another friend of mine, I reached out and was like, hey, what are your thoughts? And they were also super supportive. And then um, um, actually another member who reached out to bring our troops home, he got my information and I'd been, he's actually been one of the people that's working closely with me to figure out how to go about this. But I, I don't know what the limitations are on, on currently serving people to testify. And I don't know if that would be something that could be a conflict or strategically difficult. Uh, I have one veteran right now who was a, he, he served in Fallujah actually during some of the worst fighting as far as I'm concerned. And he's really supportive. I, we got him a ticket to the event. I'm hoping to see him on Saturday, but I need, what we need is more veterans. We need more people to, that have either that experience or their families of, um, for example, and Utah has skin in this game. Just in, I think it was in 2018, Brent Taylor, he was a mayor of one of the cities here in Utah and he was killed in Afghanistan and he was national guard. So this is like a this actually really does pertain um, to us. We have skin in this right. game and reason to fight. Now that might be tricky because his wife, she they immediately swooped in and got her, gave her like a civilian secretary position, I think, to the Pentagon or something. So like they they snatched her up. Mm. I don't know if she would be an asset or if she would you know if she would come out and support or against this. Um, but people like her and other veterans are the the exact people we need. Because I mean, bring our troops home. They've got veterans. They've got people, and I, I I'm excited to see what they bring. But if we can bring Utah original veterans, people who have you know ties to this place, um, that's what's going to be really the tipping point and the advantage, I think. And I mean. Utah, I, I also have the impression that Utah is going to be a difficult battle. You know, we do have two representatives that are former guardsmen, one general who, you know, he was over the whole thing. But also we have uh, Camp Williams, which is the headquarters for the 19th Special Forces Division, Airborne. And as far as I'm concerned, they have a pretty significant role in some of the things that are going on. So that's going to be, you know, I don't I don't know really what the 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 response from you know the the federal level is going to be but i am sure that there's going to be that point of well we have these bases and we have these special forces in utah you know the jobs the money that utah does like the the, the guard here i think got most of the dod grants that come to utah in 2019 um i've looked at some of the numbers and you know there are some pretty tight knit connections between the, the federal government and our guardsmen. So it, the stories are what are going to change this. We need stories like Diego's. We need stories from veterans and family who are sick of this and who uphold the constitution and are really true conservatives, true, um, you know, original originalist types that are tired of seeing us waste our money and our time and bankrupt ourselves 
financially and morally in these wars. It's it's time to change this. And those are the people that if we can connect them with with us here in Utah, I, I really do think we have an we would have an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Phil, I do have one question for you that I forgot. Um, at this point, if people want to be a delegate from Utah to go to the national convention, what do they have to do? That's a great question. So, uh, so for a Utah perspective, uh, all someone has to do is go to libertarianutah.org and, and go to the join page and donate. Uh, if, if one signs the pledge, which is pretty simple that to not initiate violence and use of force against others uh, and, and uh, pay the dues. Uh, it's $20. Um, then um, they will have a chance to become a delegate and perhaps even an alternate. You know, you, I'll just say one thing on this read is Utah went from eight delegates in 2020, the national convention to 13. We've not quite doubled, but we've got a lot more. And what that means is um, if someone, if, even if they're their first timer and they may not become a delegate, they can become an alternate. We need alternates and they can have a chance to vote in Reno, which is going to be uh, Memorial Day weekend. So if someone wants to become a delegate, go to the page, reach out to me. My, my uh, uh, email is secretary at libertarianutah.org or you can go to phil.lammy at libertarianutah.org. Um, but easy, I guess secretary's one's easy and just join, uh, get involved. Uh, we'll respond, uh, reach out. Uh, we have our numbers on our webpage and all that. All right. Hey, Canute, is there anything else you want to add to the conversation or any points you want to make? Or um, I, I would love to uh, channel Dave Smith, who just uh, when he says everyone here, everyone who is working to educate themselves and educate others and move the goalpost more towards liberty or libertarian form of government. Thank you. I'm I'm. I'm very grateful to to know all of you and to work with uh, any any every one of you in whatever capacity possible. And just to compliment what Phil was saying, you know, uh, people a lot of people are going to be there's going to be a lot of uh, heat to choose who the presidential candidate is for the Libertarian Party in 2024. And maybe not everyone cares about that if you're not into the Libertarian Party. But uh, if you are interested in that, the way to get your state to have more delegates, as Phil mentioned, is to have more of your people join the national party. So the more, the more people from your state that join the national national party, the party says, Hey, these guys are real serious about it. And you increase your numbers and then you can send more delegates and have a bigger impact on selecting who that person is going to be in 2024. But yeah, I, I'm just grateful for, get to and every, for, for what people are doing to push, push the needle more towards, uh, towards a libertarian form of government. And Canute, thanks for mentioning that because to be a delegate and uh, for the national convention, you got to be a dues pay member of the national party too, which is twenty five dollars a year. So it's it's going to be both state and national to be a national delegate for those at the state convention, which will be April 9th in uh, Layton. Um, um, all I have to be is a um, uh, pledging member uh, in the Utah Libertarian Party for that one. But yeah, if you're a veteran, I mean, reach out to uh, David, reach out to us. We we, we want to build this coalition and make this move forward. It's not about partisanship or, or, or party. It's about getting these ideas moved forward. It just happens to be one of the vehicles upon which we can ride. So thank you. Thank you, David. Yeah. And I, just sorry, I, I don't want to keep like interjecting. Uh, just I maybe if there's anyone out there listening or watching, if you're unsure about what to do or how to get involved, 
like literally just get involved, just talk to somebody and just say, I want to do something because I literally went from, you know, I was just reading stuff, just typical, you know, reading tons of libertarian books and theory and all this stuff. And then didn't really care about party activity. And I'm still not like a huge party guy, but I found, you know, Hey, no one's working on defend the guard. Let me try that. And I went literally from zero. I had no idea what to do or how to even do anything to now. Like, I still don't know anything, but I'm here talking to to you guys. And I've, I've been working with two legislators. I'm literally, if I can do it, I, anybody can do it. It's, you just have to literally take a chance and then just take any opportunity you can. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shows you the power of reading enough already. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. You go. yeah, I've shared that book with several people now, and they've yep. loved it. No, I'm, well, I'm bragging now, but I, I'm proud to say that Dan McKnight tells the story that he read Fool's Errand on the beach on his honeymoon, <laughs> and it ruined his honeymoon. And he created <laughs> Bring Our Troops Home. Dot right <laughs> after that, uh, he decided not to do something about this. So that's where this whole thing comes from: is a reaction to that damn book. It comes from Scott ruining someone's honeymoon. <laughs> when, I was writing honeymoon Aaron, when I was writing Fool's Aaron, I mumbled to myself many, many, many times that we cuss on this show, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My motherfuckers better like this thing. You know, I was writing. You know, it's got Afghanistan in the title, which is quite a turnoff. And I'm not stupid. So I know that nobody wants to read a book about Afghanistan, dude. You know, what am I doing? But I got chapter two was 50,000 words. And what the hell was I going to do? So it became its own book. And I just wanted it to have some effect. You know, I knew, you know, it's just published by my little old institute. So it's not like I got a giant publisher promoting it or anything like that. So I've been, um, you know, really pleased with the word of mouth and the way that, you know, Fool's Aaron and Now Enough already are passed around. You know, there's like, I won't call it a secret society, but there's a movement of army officers that I have become aware of who pass enough already around at military bases all over this planet right now and kind of like buy wholesale copies and, and, and wholesale boxes full and, and pass them out to their bros and this kind of thing. So I'm really happy to hear that kind of thing. And then, you know, I, I was not expecting you to say that you're here because you read one of the books and that's what, you know, uh, kicked it off or whatever. So I'm very happy to hear that. And, um, and, and I also am very grateful for the entire libertarian movement and this whole Mises caucus, you know, movement that's going on in the LP right now to try to integrate the formerly estranged libertarian movement into the libertarian party. So we can use that, as you said, as one of the vehicles we can really ride to help move the margin in this country to get people to understand what's wrong and what we can do to make it less worse. And as Dave, to paraphrase Dave again some more, we're the ones who thought all this through. We're the ones, we do have the answers for everything. Oh, Mr. Smarty Pants got the answer for everything, huh? Yeah, we do. It's all Mises.org, dude. Quit being lazy. Go and look it up. We, we've been over all of this on imperialism, on crony capitalism, on the police state and the boom bust cycle and Wall Street and the military industrial complex and agribusiness and healthcare costs and education and all of federalism and all of everything. We've been over all of this and we're, we are right about all of this in the way that the liberals and the conservatives and the left and the right, they just can't keep up. They're, they're at best half right. 
And we're the ones who got the unified field theory of liberty and not just that, but how to fix what's wrong with America right now, which is we need liberty. And um, so then everybody, whether it's inside the LP or whether it's in the Republican Party or whether it's in the agorist movement or even inside the Democratic Party or more like kind of leftist or liberal type movements anywhere we need, you know, as they as the right wingers say, we need to flood the zone with our arguments on on every aspect of this, you know, in art and in science and in academia and in politics and in everything. Um, and we absolutely have to dominate. And after all, there's a market for what we're pushing because it's what makes sense, especially after all that we've been through and, and everything that everyone else has tried and failed at. I mean, we got nothing but potential uh, you know, right at our fingertips here. So I'm really excited. And I'll tell you what, too, like as long as we're on the subject here, I'm really excited for Dave Smith running for president. And he ain't announced yet. And I don't know 100% for sure that he's going to or anything like that. Oh, but of I course sure he am is. pushing him too. <laughs> yeah, of course he is. And I sure am pushing him too. And I just got to tell you, I've seen him give some speeches lately in Philadelphia and in Arizona. And I heard tell about some speeches that I didn't see him give, but that I, you know, people did see and reported to me about. And this guy's just on fire, man. And I just watched him in Arizona a few weeks back, just absolutely knock him dead. And it's, you know, it is, it's the, it obviously it's the substance and it's, but it's also the form of the argument uh, yeah. put forward and it's the charisma of the guy doing the speaking. And we haven't had a candidate or a potential candidate like him since at least Harry Brown. Um, as much as I love Ron Paul, he has that, that very charming kind of anti-charisma, but it's not exactly the same thing as, as what Dave brings or even what Harry Brown brought more of like a alpha dog type of a guy. So um, I just think that the assuming that, that the libertarian movement can get the libertarian party on the same page with our values and what we care about, what we're trying to bring to a screeching halt here, and, and we can make the, the national LP what we want it to be over the next couple of years, then by the time Dave starts running and say, for example, the summer of 23, something like that, we will have a solid, you know, a, almost two years of just, you know, or I, sorry, that's not right. So a, a year and a, a month, a year and a quarter, year and a half, something like that, of just an absolute hardcore Ron Paul revolution style campaign. Something for all of us to really be excited about and paint on roofs and fly blimps and all the crazy things we did for Ron um, back in 08 and in 12. And I, I just am so excited for it. And, you know, it's true that Ron was running as a Republican and he was already in the house and he already had a devoted following, you know, coast to coast in this kind of way. But at the same time, people weren't as absolutely fed up and pissed off across the spectrum the way that they are right now. I mean, they were, the Republican yeah. Party essentially was still married to the George Bush legacy at the time that Ron was trying to run against it. You know what I mean? Those days are gone. Those days might as well have been in the 1980s now, man. That, that is just over. And so it's just a whole new world. And with... And it was also, you know, the case that we all changed our MySpace avatar to Ron Paul. But man, that doesn't that sound when I say it, you just scoff. That's, we might as well be talking about Usenet in 1994 or whatever kind of thing compared <laughs> to what the Internet is right now. And so, the, um, for example, as I'm sure you guys know, but maybe the audience doesn't know, Dave's good personal friend, Joe Rogan, 
has a bigger audience than all cable TV news channels all day long combined. Yeah. For each and every single show that he does, 10 million, 11 million downloads for each and every single one of those three-hour in-depth Tell me everything that you think about this subject type conversations that he has with these people. And he's just absolutely is. And look, a lot of those things aren't even kind of interesting. Like one of them is like, or some of them are like ancient cultures and historical, whatever. And people, you know, it's kind of a niche thing, you know, and a lot of people aren't really, it still absolutely blows away ABC, CNN, CBS, NBC, Fox, whatever, all combined. I guess not the nightly newscasts, but the, the the cable TV news, all of it combined doesn't match up to just the most important guy in alternative media, of which there are many others as well. And so I just think like, man, what a PR stunt this is going to be in terms of just like it was with Ron Paul is a speaking tour on behalf of peace and liberty and with a, an attempt to actually win and be the president. And frankly, Going up against the likes of Donald Trump and Kamala Harris or whatever. I don't know. It's a long shot, but I wouldn't say it's completely impossible that the <laughs> Americans would do like the Ukrainians and elect a comedian. You know? Right. You know, Scott, you know, Scott, it could be very well Hillary Clinton as the nominee. Oh, no. They're not going to do that. the comedy show. You oh, know? wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> Trump oh, and Hillary. God. Oh, Oh, what fun. <laughs> if I could say one thing about, uh, about you know, like a, lot, a lot of people are debating on whether or not, and like, you have you have a, a really, uh, David, you've got a, a uh, you got to choose wisely, obviously, how you spend your time. And, and I'm not, this is not a pitch to like, oh, get involved in the party. I'm just going to say that, you know, uh, Joe Jorgensen had a really rough go against, uh, you know, the, her, the people she was going against. There were some, you know, we can criticize those campaigns all we want, but previous to that, Gary Johnson was two percentage points from getting on the debate stage. And and so um, well, I'm not saying you have to vote for the Libertarian uh, if you don't like them. If you don't, if they haven't earned your vote, then obviously, you know, that's fine. But supporting the Libertarian candidates Supporting the independent candidates, whatever party they are with, if you believe in them, supporting those independent candidates gets them on the debate stage. And uh, so I, I obviously I'm not saying Gary Johnson would have won if he'd gone to the debates, but he sure would have been able to have his moments of bringing people into the movement, talking about eliminating the income tax, bringing the troops home, those kinds of things. So really, you know, supporting those candidates, whether you end up voting for them or not, is 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 a key factor in in. Uh, in, in moving the message forward. Yeah, I just wanted to say, Scott, that, um, you know, I got into the movement with Rand Paul. I was a little late and I felt cheated because I missed the Ron Paul movement. And then after Rand Paul, it was Tulsi Gabbard, which is even less exciting. And I was then you got Joe Jorgensen and I was just like, oh, man, this is unfair. And <laughs> getting into the, the Mises caucus and getting to know you, getting to know Dave, getting to know the energetic, exciting people behind it. And, you know, the, the real desire for true libertarianism and peace. It's, I don't know, it's, it's inspired me so much, you know, I've gotten involved in politics beyond what I ever thought I would. And uh, who knows what the future will bring. But uh, to me, it really, 
it, it's incredible because I thought I'd I thought I'd missed the spark and it seems like it's back. So just wanted to throw that in there. I think you're muted, Scott. Damn it, I always do that. Uh, <laughs> I speak for a lot of people when I tell you we're happy to have you, man. For sure. Thanks, man. That's part of our movement, Reed. No yeah. question about that. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for doing this. This is good. Everyone who's watching, go into this description, find the link to the event, sign up to go. I will be there. I will be introducing Scott Horton, uh, which won't be very exciting. But when he gets up and speaks, you'll get excited. So go do it anyways. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's just drop our plugs. Scott, um, where can people follow you? ScottHorton.org. Find all my stuff right there. All right. Canute. <laughs> Yeah, um, right now, just go to, uh, you've got my link, Knutatius is my Twitter handle, um, and uh, the libertarianutah.org for, I mean, 40 bucks to spend this Saturday with Scott Horton and general admission, man, that, that's that's well worth, uh, well worth the price of admission. So yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's see you there. All right, Phil. Yeah, let me go ahead and just alter my screen here, and it'd be pretty simple. You can see, pretty simple on Twitter, it's at Philip A. Lammy. Uh, it'll come up as a um, beach dude, <laughs> tropic beach dude. Uh, or you can, of course, get a hold of me at phil.lammy at thebritannutah.org um, as a, uh, um, my official party uh, work. Uh, but that's pretty simple how you get a hold of me. All right. And David, I know you got a podcast. I've got it linked in the description. Uh, what's going on with that podcast and how can people follow you? Yeah. So the podcast is called Unrestrained Thoughts. It's uh, it's more targeted to be for a Utah based audience. Uh, I can't keep up on the level that, you know, you, Scott, Dave Smith, all these other libertarian podcasters. I'm not even going to try to get into that. So I'm trying to target Utah and people that know me and that aren't quite libertarian but I mean, if people want to listen, cool. Um, I don't know that I'll be as interesting or as uh, well thought out as you guys are, but they're welcome to find it. Should be on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I think there's like a couple others, but those are the main two that I upload to. And I'm trying to be more consistent with it. Other than that, you can find me um, on Facebook, just David. I think it's David R. Iglesias. I'm actually wearing like this denim jacket in the profile uh instagram same thing and then i have a twitter which i don't really use a whole lot but it helps me keep up with things and also another way to contact me it's at david churches uh the e is replaced with a three on churches oh All and right. there's a facebook page for defend the guard utah it's defend the guard dash utah so that's probably the most important one to go check out all right thanks everyone everyone for watching obviously i'll be at the event weekend next weekend i'm going to be in washington dc with ryan dawson and eric jackman and i'm assuming with the trucker convoy <laughs> i don't know uh, i can't yes. drive in the trucker convoy because i don't own my truck but i'll be in washington d from the second to the sixth which i think is when the truckers are going to be there so obviously i'll go downtown and take part in that to some extent so i'll keep you guys updated on that Thanks for watching. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Follow me on all those other platforms, and we'll catch you on the next stream.